Section seventy two of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. Of the low lodging houses. The revelations of the blind bootlace seller concerning the low lodging houses make me anxious to arouse the public to a full sense of the atrocities committed and countenanced in those infamous places it will have been noticed that the blind man frankly tells us that he was taught his business as a mendicant in one of these houses of call for vagabonds of all kinds beggars prostitutes cheats and thieves up to the time of his starting to see his brother at hull he appears to have had no notion of living but by his labour and more especially no wish to make a trade of his affliction till then he seems to have been susceptible of some of the nobler impulses of humanity and to have left his home solely because he refused to be party to a fraud on his own sister unfortunately however on his way to carry out his generous purposes he put up for the night at the traveller's house in the town where he arrived at the end of his first day's journey from the very minute that he set foot in the place he was a lost man here were assembled scores of the most degraded and vicious members of society lying in ambush as it were like tigers in the jungle ready to spring upon and make a prey of any who came within the precincts of their lair to such as these sworn to live on the labours of others and knowing almost to a sixpence the value of each human affliction as a means of operating upon both the heart-strings and the purse-strings of the more benevolent of the industrious or the affluent to such as these i say a blind man unskilled in the art and system of mendicancy was literally a godsend a shipwreck or a colliery explosion as they too well knew some of the more sceptical of the public might call in question but a real blind man with his eyeballs gone was beyond all doubt and to inspire faith as they were perfectly aware was one of the most important and difficult processes of the beggar's craft besides of all misfortunes blindness is one which to those who have their sight appears not only the greatest of human privations but a privation which wholly precludes the possibility of self-help and so gives the sufferer the strongest claim on our charity in such a place therefore as a low lodging-house the common resort of all who are resolved not to work for their living it was almost impossible for a blind man to pass even an hour without every virtuous principle of his nature being undermined and overtures of the most tempting character being made to him to be allowed to go partners in so valuable a misfortune was a privilege that many there would strive for accordingly as we have seen the day after the blind man entered the low lodging-house he who up to that time had been even in his affliction earning his living was taken out by one of the travellers and taught how much better a living how much more of the good things of this world he could get by mendicancy than by industry and from the very hour when the blind man learned this the most dangerous lesson that any human being can possibly be taught he became heart and soul an ingrained beggar his description of the delight he felt when he found that he had no longer any need to work that he could rove about the country as he pleased without a care without a purpose 
with a perfect sense of freedom and a full enjoyment of the open air in the day and the wild license of the lodging-house society at night satisfied that he could get as much food and drink and even money as he needed solely for the asking of it his description of this is a frank confession of a few of the charms of vagabondism charms to which the more sedate are not only strangers but of which they can form no adequate conception the pleasure of shaking a loose leg as the vagrants themselves call it is perhaps known only in its intensity by those wayward spirits who object to the restraint of work or the irksomeness of any settled pursuit the perfect thoughtlessness that the blind man describes as the first effect produced upon him by his vagabondism is the more remarkable because it seems to have effaced from his mind all regard even for the sister for whose sake he had quitted his home though to those who have made a study of the vagrant character it is one of those curious inconsistencies which form the principal feature in the idiosyncrasy of the class and which indeed are a necessary consequence of the very purposelessness or want of some permanent principle or feeling which constitutes as it were the mainspring of vagabondism indeed the blind man was a strange compound of cunning and good feeling at one moment he was weeping over the afflictions of others he was deeply moved when i read to him the sufferings of the crippled nutmeg grater cellar and yet the next minute he was grinning behind his hand so that his laughter might be concealed from me in a manner that appeared almost fiendish still i am convinced that at heart he was far from a bad man there was amid the degradation that necessarily comes of habitual mendicancy a fine expression of sympathy that the better class of poor always exhibit towards the poor nor could i help wondering when i heard him the professed mendicant tell me how he had been moved to tears by the recital of the sufferings of another mendicant sufferings that might have been as profitable a stock in trade to the one as his blindness was to the other though it is by no means unusual for objects of charity to have their objects of charity and to be imposed upon by fictitious or exaggerated tales of distress almost as often as they impose upon others by the very same means i now invite the reader's attention to the narratives given below as to the character of the low lodging-houses the individuals furnishing me with those statements it should be observed were not picked people but taken promiscuously from a number belonging to the same class i shall reserve what else i may have to remark on the subject till the conclusion of those statements prisons treadmills penal settlements gallows i said eighteen months ago in the morning chronicle are all vain and impotent as punishment and ragged schools and city missions are of no avail as preventives of crime so long as the wretched dens of infamy brutality and vice termed padding kens continue their daily and nightly work of demoralization if we would check the further spread of our criminals and within the last four years they have increased from twenty four thousand to thirty thousand we must apply ourselves to the better regulation and conduct of these places at present they are not only the preparatory schools but the finishing academies for every kind of profligacy and crime the system of lodging-houses for travellers otherwise trampers says the constabulary commissioner's report 
requires to be altogether revised at present they are in the practice of lodging all the worst characters unquestioned and are subject to no other control than an occasional visit of inspection from the parish officers accompanied by the constables whose power of interference if they have a legal right of entry does not extend to some of the most objectionable points connected with those houses as they can merely take into custody such persons as they find in commission of some offence the state in which those houses are found on the occasion of such visit proves how much they require interference the houses are small and yet as many as thirty travellers or even thirty-five have been found in one house fifteen have been found sleeping in one room three or four in a bed men women and children promiscuously beds have been found occupied in a cellar it is not necessary to urge the many opportunities of preparing for crime which such a state of things presents or the actual evils arising from such a mode of harbouring crowds of low and vicious persons according to the report of the constabulary commissioners there were in eighteen thirty nine in london two hundred and twenty one mendicants lodging-houses average eleven lodgers or total number of inmates two thousand four hundred and thirty one in liverpool one hundred and seventy six mendicants lodging-houses average six lodgers or total number of inmates one thousand and fifty six bristol sixty nine mendicants lodging-houses average seven lodgers or total number of inmates four hundred and eighty three bath fourteen mendicants lodging-houses average nine lodgers or total number of inmates one hundred and twenty six kingston on hull eleven mendicants lodging-houses average three lodgers or total number of inmates thirty three newcastle on tyne seventy eight mendicants lodging-houses average three lodgers or total number of inmates two hundred and thirty four chester see report page thirty five one hundred and fifty mendicants lodging-houses average three lodgers or total number of inmates four hundred and fifty total six hundred and nineteen mendicants lodging-houses total number of inmates four thousand eight hundred and thirteen moreover the same report tells us at page thirty two that there is a low lodging-house for tramps in every village by the post-office directory there are three thousand eight hundred and twenty-three postal towns in england and wales and assuming that in each of these towns there are two travellers houses and that each of these upon an average harbours every night ten tramps note in a list given at page three hundred and eleven there were in eighty-three towns no less than six hundred and seventy-eight low lodging-houses receiving ten thousand eight hundred and sixty lodgers every night this gives on an average eight such houses to each town and sixteen lodgers to each such house End note. we have thus seventy-six thousand four hundred and sixty for the total number of the inmates of such houses to show the actual state of these lodging-houses from the testimony of one who had been long resident in them i give the following statement it was made to me by a man of superior education and intelligence as the tone of his narrative fully shows whom circumstances which do not affect the object of my present letter and therefore need not be detailed had reduced from affluence to beggary so that he was compelled to be a constant resident in those places all the other statements that i obtained on the subject and they were numerous were corroborative of his account to the very letter
I've been familiar, unfortunately for me, with low lodging-houses both in town and country for more than ten years. I consider that, as to the conduct of those places, it is worse in London than in the country, while in the country the character of the keeper is worse than in London, although but a small difference can be noted. The worst I am acquainted with, though I haven't been in it lately, is in the neighbourhood of Drury Lane. This is the worst both for filth and for the character of the lodgers. In the room where I slept, which was like a barn in size, the tiles were off the roof, and as there was no ceiling I could see the blue sky from where I lay. That may be altered now. Here I slept in what was called the single men's room, and it was confined to men. In another part of the house was a room for married couples, as it was called, but of such apartments I can tell you more concerning other houses. For the bed with the view of the blue sky I paid threepence. If it rained there was no shelter. I have slept in a room in Brick Lane, Whitechapel, in which were fourteen beds. In the next bed to me on the one side was a man, his wife and three children, and a man and his wife on the other. They were Irish people, and I believe the women were the men's wives, as the Irish women generally are. Of all the women that resort to these places, the Irish are far the best for chastity. All the beds were occupied, single men being mixed with the married couples. The question is never asked when a man and woman go to a lodging-house if they are man and wife. All must pay before they go to bed, or be turned into the street. These beds were made as all the low lodging-house beds are, of the worst cotton flocks, stuffed in coarse, strong canvas. There is a pair of sheets, a blanket, and a rug. I have known the bedding to be unchanged for three months, but that is not general. The beds are an average size. Dirt is the rule with them, and cleanliness the exception. They are all infested with vermin. I never met with an exception. No one is required to wash before going to bed in any of these places except at a very few where a very dirty fellow would not be admitted, unless he had been walking on a wet day without shoes or stockings, and then he must bathe his feet. The people who slept in the room I am describing were chiefly young men, almost all accompanied by young females. I have seen girls of fifteen sleep with their chaps, in some places with youths of from sixteen to twenty. There is no objection to any boy and girl occupying a bed, even though the keeper knows they were previously strangers to each other. The accommodation for purposes of decency is very bad in some places. A pail in the middle of a room, to which both sexes may resort, is a frequent arrangement. No delicacy or decency is ever observed. The women are, I think, worse than the men. If anyone, possessing a sense of shame, says a word of rebuke, he is at once assailed by the women in particular with the coarsest words in the language. The Irish women are as bad as the others with respect to language, but I have known them keep themselves covered in bed when the other women were outraging modesty or decency. The Irish will sleep anywhere to save a halfpenny a night, if they have ever so much money. Note. Here he stated certain gross acts common to lodging-houses, which cannot be detailed in print. End note. It is not uncommon for a boy or man to take a girl out of the streets to these apartments, some are the same as common brothels, women being taken in at all hours of the day or night. In most, however, they must stay all night as a married couple. In dressing or undressing there is no regard to decency, while disgusting blackguardism is often carried on in the conversation of the inmates. I have known decent people, those that are driven to such places from destitution, perhaps for the first time, shocked and disgusted at what they saw. 
I have seen a decent married pair so shocked and disgusted that they have insisted on leaving the place and have left it. A great number of the lodging houses are large old buildings, which were constructed for other purposes. These houses are not so ill-ventilated, but even there, where so many sleep in one room, the air is hot and foul. In smaller rooms, say twelve feet by nine, I have seen four beds placed for single men, with no ventilation whatsoever, so that no one could remain inside in warmish weather without every door and window open. Another room in the same house, a little larger, had four double beds, with as many men and women, and perhaps with children. The Board of Health last autumn compelled the keepers of these places to whitewash the walls and ceilings, and use lime-wash in other places. Before that the walls and ceilings looked as if they had been black-washed, but still you could see the bugs creeping along those black walls, which were not black enough to hide that. In some houses in the summer you can hardly place your finger on a part of the wall free from bugs. I have scraped them off by handfuls. Nothing can be worse to the health than these places, without ventilation, cleanliness, or decency, and with forty people's breaths perhaps mingling together in one foul, choking steam of stench. Note the man's own words. End note. They are the ready resort of thieves and all bad characters, and the keepers will hide them if they can from the police, or facilitate any criminal's escape. I never knew the keepers give any offender up, even when rewards were offered. If they did, they might shut up shop. These houses are but receptacles, with a few exceptions, for beggars, thieves, and prostitutes, and those in training for thieves and prostitutes, the exceptions are those who must lodge at the lowest possible cost. I consider them in every respect of the worst possible character, and think that immediate means should be adopted to improve them. Fights, and fierce fights too, are frequent in them, and I have often been afraid murder would be done. They are money-making places, very. One person will own several, as many as a dozen. In each house he has one or more deputies, chiefly men. Some of these keepers are called respectable men. Some live out in the country, leaving all to deputies. They are quite a separate class from the keepers of regular brothels. In one house that I know, they can accommodate eighty single men, and when single men only are admitted, what is decent, or rather what is considered decent in such places, is less unfrequent. Each man in such houses pays fourpence a night, a bed to each man or boy, that is twenty-six shillings and eightpence nightly, or four hundred and eighty-six pounds thirteen shillings and fourpence a year provided the beds be full every night, and they are full six nights out of seven. Besides that, some of the beds supply double turns, for many get up at two to go to Covent Garden or some other market, and their beds are then let a second time to other men, so that more than eighty are frequently accommodated, and I suppose five hundred pounds is the nearest sum to be taken for an accurate return. The rent is very trifling, the chief expense to be deducted from the profits of the house in question is the payment of three and sometimes four deputies, receiving from seven shillings to twelve shillings a week each, say an average of from thirty shillings to forty shillings a week, as three or four are employed. Fire, coke being only used, and gas are the other expenses. The washing is a mere trifle. Then there are the parochial and the water rates. The rent is always low, as the houses are usable for nothing but such lodgings. The profits of the one house I have described cannot be less than three hundred pounds a year, and the others are in proportion. Now, the owner of this house has, I believe, ten more such houses, which, 
letting only thrupney beds some are lower than that may realize a profit of about two hundred pounds a year each these altogether yield a clear profit of two thousand three hundred pounds for the eleven of them but on how much vice and disease that two thousand three hundred pounds has been raised is a question beyond a schoolmaster the missionaries visit these lodging-houses but judging from what i have heard said by the inmates in all of them when the missionaries have left scarcely any good effect has resulted from the visits i never saw a clergyman of any denomination in any one of these places either in town or country in london the master or deputy of the low lodging-house does not generally meddle with the disposal of stolen property as in the country this is talked about alike in the town and country houses very openly and freely before persons known only to be beggars and never stealing it is sufficient that they are known as tramps in london the keepers must all know that stolen property is nightly brought into the house and they wink at its disposal but they won't mix themselves up with disposing of it if it be provisions that have been stolen they are readily disposed of to the other inmates and the owner or deputy of the house may know nothing about it and certainly would not care to interfere if he did i never heard robberies planned there but there are generally strangers present and this may deter i believe more robberies are planned in low coffee shops than in lodging houses the influence of the lodging house society on boys who have run away from their parents and have got thither either separately or in company with lads who have joined them in the streets is this boys there after paying their lodgings may exercise the same freedom from every restraint as they see the persons of maturer years enjoy this is often pleasant to a boy especially if he has been severely treated by his parents or master he apes and often outdoes all the men's ways both in swearing and lewd talk and so he gets a relish for that sort of life after he has resorted to such places the sharper boys for three and the duller for six months they are adepts at any thieving or vice drunkenness and even moderate drinking is very rare among them i seldom or never see the boys drink indeed thieves of all ages are generally sober men once get to like a lodging-house life and a boy can hardly be got out of it i said the other day to a youth i wish i could get out of these haunts and never see a lodging-house again and he replied if i had ever so much money i would never live anywhere else i have seen the boys in a lodging-house sit together telling stories but paid no attention to them statement of a young pickpocket to show the class of characters usually frequenting these lodging-houses i will now give the statement of a boy a young pickpocket without shoes or stockings he wore a ragged dirty and very thin greatcoat of some dark jean or linen under which was another thin coat so arranged that what appeared rents and indeed were rents but designedly made in the outer garment were slits through which the hand readily reached the pockets of the inner garment and could there deposit any booty he was a slim agile lad with a sharp but not vulgar expression and small features his hands were of singular delicacy and beauty his fingers were very long and no ladies could have been more taper a burglar told me that with such a hand he ought to have made his fortune he was worth twenty pounds a week he said as a wire that is a picker of ladies pockets 
when engaged for a turn as he told me he once was by an old pickpocket the man looked minutely at his fingers and approved of them highly his hands the boy said were hardly serviceable to him when very cold his feet were formed in the same symmetrical and beautiful mould as his hands i'm fifteen he said my father was a potter and i can't recollect my mother note many of the thieves are orphans or motherless End note. my father has been dead about five years i was then working at the pottery in high street lambeth earning about four shillings a week in good weeks four shillings and sixpence i was in work eight months after my father died but one day i broke three bottles by accident and the foreman said i shan't want you any more and i took that as meant for a discharge but i found afterwards that he didn't so mean it i had two shillings and a suit of clothes then and tried for work at all the potteries but i couldn't get any it was about the time smithfield fair was on i went but it was a very poor concern i fell asleep in a pen in the afternoon and had my shoes stolen off my feet when i woke up i began crying a fellow named jip then came along i knew his name afterwards and he said what are you crying for and i told him and he said pull off your stockings and come with me and i'll show you where to sleep so i did and he took me to st olaf's workhouse having first sold my stockings i had never stolen anything until then there i slept in the casual ward and jip slept there too in the morning we started together for smithfield where he said he had a job to sweep the pens but he couldn't sweep them without pulling off his coat and it would look so queer if he hadn't a shirt and he hadn't one he promised to teach me how to make a living in the country if i would lend him mine and i was persuaded for i was an innocent lad then and went up a gateway and stripped off my shirt and gave it to him and soon after he went into a public house to get half a pint of beer he went in at one door and out at another and i didn't see him for six months afterwards that afternoon i went into billingsgate market and met some boys and one said mate how long have you been knocking about where did you doss i didn't know what they meant and when they'd told me they meant where did i sleep i told them how i'd been served and they said oh you must expect that until you learn something and they laughed they all knowed jip he was like the head of a billingsgate gang once i became a pal with these boys at billingsgate and we went about stealing fish and meat some boys have made two shillings in a morning when the fish is dear those that had pluck and luck they sold it at half price billingsgate market is a good place to sell it plenty of costermongers are there who will buy it rather than of the salesman i grew as bad as the rest at this work at first i sold it to other boys who would get threepence for what they bought at a penny now they can't do me if i can get a thing cheap where i lodge and have the money and can sell it dear that's the chance i carried on this fish rig for about two years and went begging a little too i used to try a little thieving sometimes in petticoat lane they say the flyest is easy to take in sometimes that's the artfulest but i could do no good there at these two years end i was often as happy as could be that is when i had made money then i met b blank whom i had often heard of as an uncommon clever pickpocket he could do it about as well as i can now so as people won't feel it three of his mates were transported for stealing silver plate he and i became pals and started for the country with a penny we went through footscray and passed a farm where a man's buried at the top of a house there's something about money while a man's above ground i don't understand it but it's something like that a baker about thirty miles from london offended us about some bread and b blank said i'll serve him out we watched him out and b blank tried at his pocket 
saying, I'll show you how to do a handkerchief. But the baker looked round, and B blank stopped, and just after that I flared it. Note, whisked the handkerchief out, end note. And that's the first I did. It brought one shilling and threepence. We travelled across country and got to Maidstone, and did two handkerchiefs. One I wore round my neck, and the other the lodging-house keeper pawned for us for one shilling and sixpence. In Maidstone next morning I was nailed and had three months of it. I didn't mind it so much then, but Maidstone's far worse now, I've heard. I have been in prison three times in Brixton, three times in the old horse, note, Bridewell, end note, three times in the Compter, once in the Steel, and once in Maidstone, thirteen times in all, including twice I was remanded and got off, but I don't reckon that prison. Every time I came out harder than I went in. I've had four floggings. It was bad enough, a flogging was, while it lasted, but when I got out I soon forgot it. At a week's end I never thought again about it. If I had been better treated I should have been a better lad. I could leave off thieving now, as if I had never thieved, if I could live without. Note, I am inclined to doubt this part of the statement. End note. I have carried on this sort of life until now. I didn't often make a very good thing of it. I saw Manning and his wife hung. Mrs. Manning was dressed beautiful when she came up. She screeched when Jack Ketch pulled the bolt away. She was harder than Manning, they all said. Without her there would have been no murder. It was a great deal talked about, and Manning was pitied. It was a punishment to her to come on the scaffold and see Manning with the rope about his neck, if people takes it in the right light. I did four shillings and sixpence at the hanging, two handkerchiefs, and a purse with two shillings in it, the best purse I ever had. But I've only done three or four purses. The reason is because I've never been well dressed. If I went near a lady she would say, you ragged fellow, and would shrink away. But I would rather rob the rich than the poor, they miss it less. But one shilling honest goes further than five shillings stolen. Some call that only a saying, but it's true. All the money I got soon went, most of it a gambling. Picking pockets, when anyone comes to think on it, is the daringest thing that a boy can do. It didn't in the least frighten me to see Manning and Mrs. Manning hanged. I never thought I should come to the gallows, and I never shall. I'm not high-tempered enough for that. The only thing that frightens me when I'm in prison is sleeping in a cell by myself. You do in the old horse and the steel, because I think things may appear. You can't imagine how one dreams when in trouble. I've often started up in a fright from a dream. I don't know what might appear. I've heard people talk about ghosts and that. Once in the county, a tin had been left under a tap that went drip, 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 and all in the ward were shocking frightened and weren't we glad when we found out what it was. Boys tell stories about haunted castles and cats that are devils, and that frightens one. At the fire in Monument Yard I did five shillings and sevenpence, three shillings in silver and two shillings and threepence in handkerchiefs, and fourpence for three pairs of gloves. I sell my handkerchiefs in the lane. Note, petticoat lane. End note. I carry on this trade still. Most times I've got in prison is when I've been desperate from hunger, and have said to B blank, now I'll have money, nailed or not nailed. I can pick a woman's pocket as easy as a man's, though you wouldn't think it. If one's in prison for begging, one's laughed at. The others say, begging, oh, you cadger. So a boy's partly forced to steal for his character. I've lived a good deal in lodging-houses, and know the ways of them. They're very bad places for a boy to be in. Where I am now, when the place is full, there's upwards of one hundred can be accommodated. I won't be there long. I'll do something to get out of it. There's people there will rob their own brother. 
there's people there talk backward for one they say inno for two out for three irt for four ruof for five ivif for six exis i don't know any higher i can neither read nor write in this lodging-house there are no women they talk there chiefly about what they've done or are going to do or have set their minds upon just as you and any other gentleman might do i have been in lodging-houses in mint street and kent street where men and women and children all slept in one room i think the men and women who slept together were generally married or lived together but it's not right for a big boy to sleep in the same room young men have had beds to themselves and so have young women there but there's a deputy comes into the room every now and then to see there's nothing wrong there's little said in these places the people are generally so tired where i am there's horrid language swearing and everything that's bad they're to be pitied because there's not work for honest people let alone thieves in the lodging-houses the air is very bad enough to stifle one in bed so many breaths together without such places my trade couldn't be carried on i couldn't live some though would find another way out three or four would take a room among them anybody's money's good you can always get a room i would be glad to leave this life and work at a pottery as to sea a bad captain would make me run away sure he can do what he likes with you when you're out at sea i don't get more than two shillings a week one week with the other by thieving some days you do nothing until hunger makes your spirits rise i can't thieve on a full belly i live on two shillings a week from thieving because i understand fiddling that means buying a thing for a mere trifle and selling it for double or for more if you're not taken in yourself i've been put up to a few tricks in lodging-houses and now i can put others up to it everybody must look after themselves and i can't say i was very sorry when i stole that two shillings from a poor woman but i'd rather have had one shilling and sixpence from a rich one i never drink eating's my part i spend a chief part of my money in pudding i don't like living in lodging-houses but i must like it as i'm placed now that sort of living and those lodging-houses or starving they bring tracts to the lodging-houses pipes are lighted with them tracts won't fill your belly tracts is no good except to a person that has a home at the lodging-houses they're laughed at they seldom are mentioned i've heard some of them read by missionaries but can't catch anything from them if it had been anything bad i should have caught it readily if an innocent boy gets into a lodging-house he'll not be innocent long he can't i know three boys who have run away and are in the lodging-houses still but i hope their father has caught them last night a little boy came to the lodging-house where i was we all thought he had run away by the way he spoke he stayed all night but was found out in two or three falsehoods i wanted to get him back home or he'll be as bad as i am in time though he's nothing to me but i couldn't find him this morning but i'll get him home yet perhaps the jews in petticoat lane are terrible rogues they'll buy anything of you they'll buy what you've stolen from their next-door neighbours that they would if they knew it but they'll give you very little for it and they'll threaten to give you up if you won't take a quarter of the value of it oh i see you do it they say and i like to see him robbed but you must take what i give i wouldn't mind what harm came to those petticoat laners many of them are worth thousands so you wouldn't think it after this i asked him what he as a sharp lad thought was the cause of so many boys becoming vagrant pickpockets he answered why sir if boys runs away and has to shelter in low lodging-houses and many runs away from cruel treatment at home they meet there with boys such as me or as bad and the devil soon lays his hand on them 
If there wasn't so many lodging houses, there wouldn't be so many bad boys. There couldn't. Lately a boy came down to Billingsgate and said he wouldn't stay at home to be knocked about any longer. He said it to some boys like me, and he was asked if he could get anything from his mother, and he said yes he could. So he went back and brought a brooch and some other things with him to a place fixed on, and then he and some of the boys set off for the country, and that's the way boys is trapped. I think the fathers of such boys either ill-treat them or neglect them, and so they run away. My father used to beat me shocking, so I hated home. I stood hard licking well, and was called the plucked one. This boy first stole flowers, currants, and gooseberries out of the clergyman's garden, more by way of bravado, and to ensure the approbation of his comrades than for anything else. He answered readily to my inquiry as to what he thought would become of him. Transportation. If a boy has great luck, he may carry on for eight years. Three or four years is the common run, but transportation is what he's sure to come to in the end. This lad picked my pocket at my request, and so dexterously did he do his work, that, though I was alive to what he was trying to do, it was impossible for me to detect the least movement of my coat. To see him pick the pockets as he did of some of the gentlemen who were present on the occasion was a curious sight. He crept behind, much like a cat with his claws out, and while in the act held his breath with suspense, but immediately the handkerchief was safe in his hand, the change in the expression of his countenance was most marked. He then seemed almost to be convulsed with delight at the success of his perilous adventure, and, turning his back, held up the handkerchief to discover the value of his prize, with intense glee evident in every feature. End of section 72